If you stop and think about everything happening here in the good old U.S. of A., you might believe that there are only two sides to every story. Actually, there are many more sides. At last count, there were over 327 million sides to our American story. On this program, we'll take a look at different stories, from a different point of view. Mine. Hopefully, after listening, absorbing, and actually thinking about what you hear, it might just become your point of view as well. I'm Steve, and this is The Truth Hurts. This is Steve Z and The Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. New Orleans, a city in perpetual decline in all the areas that matter. Whether you call it New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans, Nolens, the Big Easy, the city that care forgot, or any other name, New Orleans, Louisiana was once called the Jewel of the South. The city is currently ranked as of 2018 number 50 in population density in the United States, according to U.S. population data. At last count, 391,000 residents inhabit the city proper. But the Big Easy wasn't always number 50. In 1840, New Orleans was the third most populous city in the United States. In 1910, 1940, and in 1960, the city that care forgot was ranked number 15 in the U.S. The 1960 census showed 600 27,500 residents in the city. It was once considered a top destination for movers and shakers outside of New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. The city at that time was home of the world's petrochemical company corporate headquarters for many of the large oil producers. And it was a port city that processed more tonnage in and out than virtually any other port in the country. I was born in 1963. My dad was an attorney in the city. When I was just seven years old, my father took me to meet the mayor. He took me down to City Hall to this large office where the mayor was sitting behind a giant oak desk in front of a giant map of the New Orleans metropolitan area. There were these mylar-type overlays showing projections of the path of growth the mayor had envisioned not only for the city itself, but for an entire metropolitan area. He truly was ahead of his time. Cities like Nashville, Tennessee and the Metro Davidson County area have grown beyond just the city limits, but not New Orleans. The mayor's overlays of that day included growth patterns for residential and commercial communities on the east bank of the Mississippi River for New Orleans and for the surrounding parishes. Now, for those of you who don't know it, parishes are Louisiana's equivalent of counties under the Napoleonic Code. The growth plan for the entire area included an envisionment of multiple bridges connecting the two sides of the Mississippi River 
with not only vehicular traffic, but rail traffic, mass transit. And it also showed three circular interstate highway loops. The smallest loop would encircle the city proper. The second loop would include the west bank of Jefferson Parish into St. Bernard, across the Mississippi River into uh, Plaquemines Parish and back into the city, in and out of Jefferson Parish. And the third loop would encompass a larger oval to include the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain and circle that entire area connecting in the center of the city of New Orleans. The plan was simple yet elegant and would convert a basically waterlocked city into a sprawling metropolitan community with combined resources to allow for economic expansion and better utilization of the limited amount of available land. It included public housing, job creation programs, transportation infrastructure mapping, all to maximize the seaport and rail transit systems coupled with the new Eisenhower interstate system. New Orleans had a World Trade Center at one time. I visited it many times. There were consulates from all the major countries, especially focused on the Latin American community, which was a major trading partner of New Orleans. With an international airport and flights to Europe, Central and South America, as well as other destinations, New Orleans was poised for major growth. Its connection to all the major oil-producing companies who all had corporate headquarters in the city, New Orleans was the hub of offshore oil production in America. During the same time, a man named Walt Disney was looking to open a second Disney theme park aside from Disneyland in California, and he looked to the New Orleans North Shore area long before considering Orlando. So what happened? It's quite simple. Let's start out with Mr. Disney. Where Walt Disney wanted to open his Disney World theme park in the New Orleans area, the city of New Orleans was opposed because the actual location was north of the city in St. Tammany Parish, and the city would not be able to get its hooks into the potential Disney profits. City, parish, and state officials lobbied back and forth to try and move the park to New Orleans East, a swamp, and they even built a couple of overpasses over Interstate 10 as an enticement. They put their hands out, as they always do, asking for kickbacks and sweetheart land deals and other corrupt beggings. Meanwhile, Orlando, Florida, on the other hand, made offers to the Disney Company. Tax breaks, land incentives, infrastructure improvements, and other items to entice this media mogul named Walt Disney to locate his second theme park there, in the swamps of Florida, as opposed to the swamps near New Orleans, where officials demanded that Disney Park pay for infrastructure improvements and set aside certain plots of land for their use. And they sought a little something-something for themselves, as usual. Strike one. By the way, New Orleans attracts about 10 million visitors or tourists each year as of 2018. Orlando, which in 1960, before Disney World and Universal Studios popped up, had a population of about 200,000 people. They now attract over 40 million tourists every year 
and have grown to a population of just under 2 million people. What a wasted opportunity for New Orleans. Just as with Disney, the wonderful politicians of the New Orleans area, along with their corrupt state and parish partners, decided that the major oil companies should be paying them homage as well, in the form of higher taxes, demands for kickbacks, and a general what-are-you-going-to-do-for-me attitude. Just as Orlando made a deal for Disney, cities like Houston and Dallas, Texas, made incredible offers to the oil giants, offers too good to pass up. The major oil companies abandoned the city of New Orleans, laying off tens of thousands of workers, closing down their skyscraper corporate office headquarter buildings, and they moved west, young man, where cities like Houston and Dallas offered massive multi-decade tax incentives, offered to pay for the infrastructure improvements necessary for the growth that was to come. They built new schools for the tens of thousands of children of the workers moving to Houston and Dallas. And they didn't put their hands out looking for kickbacks and bribes and deals to get their relatives cushy jobs in the new corporate offices of the oil companies relocating to those cities. Of course, when you lose a major corporation, the residual and ancillary businesses that supported those giants also tend to lose and eventually go under. Office supply stores, printers, paper suppliers, restaurants and grocery stores who once served the massive numbers of former oil company employees had to go under. And other smaller businesses who fed off those main businesses and ancillary businesses fell by the wayside. Now how do you suppose the local elected officials reacted to these massive moves out of the city that were announced many, many months prior to the actual leaving? Instead of offering incentives to lure these mega companies back to the Big Easy or to allow for them to leave some of their operations in New Orleans, the geniuses in positions of power decided to insult those corporate leaders, calling them names as if that might shame them into returning. As New Orleans withered, those big company executives did exactly what you would expect them to do. They shrugged their shoulders and looked to their bright, shiny futures in Houston and Dallas. They had nothing left for New Orleans. Instead of offering incentive, the leaders of New Orleans and the state placed blame. And following the departure of Big Oil, which was the lifeblood, if not only New Orleans, but the state of Louisiana, along with its other businesses, and consequently, they took the biggest, best, and brightest groups of people along with them. The city and surrounding area was left with the not-so-in-demand, the not-best, and the not-brightest. After all, a successful company would certainly offer the best and brightest incentives to the best and brightest employees to urge them to follow the big corporations to Houston or Dallas. And they left the rest behind. 
when all you have left in a city are those who were not picked to be on the first string, other businesses have to settle for less than stellar works, workforces. The other businesses and their quality began to suffer. So you end up losing another industry and another and another. One of the industries lost in the process was the once great Avondale Shipyards, which was swallowed up by Ingalls Shipbuilding, the builder of U.S. naval ships. They saw a massive decline in the quality of materials, of workmanship, and of finished products. So they, like many others who rely on a quality workforce, bailed out as well. The more businesses leave, the more people have to depend on handouts. So, like the so-called leaders of the city and surrounding areas, they happily provided more and more and more and more in the form of welfare, food stamps, unemployment, and so-called social program benefits to the people who were not picked to follow the large industries to their new digs. So what's left? First of all, there are the diehards, those real New Orleans folks who just can't find it in their heart to leave the Big Easy. They are hoping and praying for a resurgence. Second, the can't leaves, people who can't afford to leave or they're too old to try and start over somewhere else. And finally, the leftovers, those who you talk to at a pub and they tell you the story about how they used to be this or they used to do that and they spend their time blaming the federal government, depending on who's in the White House, or a local leader who failed them. They blame them for the failure of the city and the need to change their own basis for an income. Such a shame. Yes, New Orleans sacrificed everything that made them a once great city in favor of promoting people blowing trombones and trumpets, banging on five-gallon buckets, and tap dancing in the glorious name of tourism. But you can only sustain that existence for so long. How many times do you expect a tourist to keep returning to the same filthy city where their chance of being robbed or mugged, carjacked or raped, scammed or assaulted is extremely high just so they can have a drink or catch a pair of cheap Chinese plastic beads while listening to some third-rate drunken clown trying to play a song on a street corner? There is no other draw because that's all we have left. Thank corruption. By 1970 New Orleans fell to number 19 in population in 1990, they were number 24, and the hits just kept on coming. By 2000, New Orleans was 33rd, and the population of the city was down to 483,600 people. Katrina hit in 2005, and by 2006, due to all of the evacuations and people finding some jobs in nicer, neater, less violent, and less corruptive cities, the city's population fell to just 208,548, which was 94th place in the country. As the city began to recover and clean up, even after all the scandals of Mayor Nagin and Governor Blanco, and after cities like Houston actually begged New Orleans to take back their, quote, post-Katrina parasites, unquote, 
an actual headline in the Houston Chronicle quoting a Houston city official. By 2010, the city was ranked at 52 in the nation, with a population of under 344,000 residents. And since that time, the Big Sleazy has been consistently ranked between 49th and 51, 49 and 51 with a population of 390,000 people. Meanwhile, cities like Nashville, Tennessee, Houston, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, Dallas, Texas, and even Baton Rouge, Louisiana, have surpassed New Orleans in population. But not in crime. No siree. New Orleans remains a top five or top ten murder leader every year. It ranks high in almost every category, if by high you actually mean the lowest of the low. And yet, after all the scandals, the history of corruption, the high rates of crime brought on by over 150 years of Democrat mayoral rule, New Orleans still has not learned their lesson. I'm not trying to say that an overnight turnaround would occur by putting an R in the mayor's office. But decades, moreover a century and a half of rule by one political party, has dragged the once great city of New Orleans into the depths of shame and crime, to the bottom of every important indicator, into the cellar of every nice list and to the very top of every naughty list. And nobody can seem to see the big picture. No one takes the time to look and compare the city of New Orleans with the failure of every other major city that sits currently on the edge of ruin, basking in the ignorance of decline, picking the bones of a few tax-paying citizens that remain because they cannot afford to leave. And you see the commonality, the modus operandi, the telltale sign that marks failure. And that sign is always a capital D behind the name of their so-called leaders. People are fleeing California in droves. Where are they headed? Texas. They're departing New York and New Jersey in great haste for the, floor, the south shores of Florida. And they're escaping Detroit and Chicago for towns like Nashville. Why? Well, it's simple. They want to escape to areas with low taxes, less corruption, burgeoning infrastructure, improving education opportunities, reduced levels of government interference, and partnership incentives between government and business. Incentives for people to work instead of a continuous handout begging for a handout. Decline is easy. The big easy. Growth is hard. It requires effort. It demands responsibility. It mandates accountability and it orders hard work. It inspects what it expects, and it looks forward to opportunity instead of finding opportunity to place blame for failure. New Orleans just does not get it. Not now, not then, likely not ever. And with a legacy of corrupt leaders like Nagin, Morial, Cantrell, Landrew, and others, the future continues to look dark for the foreseeable future. If you see similarities between New Orleans and other cities like Detroit, there's probably a reason. There's always a benefit to stirring the pot, a benefit to all sides. 
One benefit is you might just learn something. Another benefit is I might learn something too. Doesn't look like New Orleans is ever going to learn. Agitators, those who stir the pot for their own personal gain or for the monetary windfalls that come from stirring a pot, will likely continue to stir that pot until the end of time. Sorry if that offends you, but the truth hurts.